I am Dennis Tubergen. You are listening to the Retirement Lifestyle Advocates radio program. Glad you decided to listen in today. And hey, Merry Christmas weekend to you and yours. Hope you are enjoying the holiday. And again, uh, thanks for taking some time out to listen in today. I have what I think is going to be a really good show for you today. In this segment, I am going to explore the question, should you take financial advice from Thomas Jefferson or from Janet Yellen, who has been nominated to be a Treasury Secretary in a Biden administration, and she is the former chair of the Federal Reserve from 2014 to 2018, Uh, And we'll explore that question because her position on finance and economics is completely different than what one of our founding fathers, uh, Thomas Jefferson's position would be. And I'm going to give you some facts in this segment and give you a glimpse as to where I think we might head and who I think you might want to listen to. Also joining me on today's program in the second and third segments I have Dr. Bob McCute joining me. Uh, You may remember uh, Bob if you've been a longtime listener to the program as a technical market analyst. We'll get his take on the future of stocks, gold, silver, oil, and the U.S. dollar. Uh, But before I get into uh, what I want to talk about in this segment, let me remind you that if you have not yet received our year-end forecast issue, titled Capitalizing on Uncertainty. Uh, This has gone out to all of our clients. We'd be very glad to send you a copy of this report. Uh, It is available for free. All you need to do to get that report is go to the website, requestyourreport.com, requestyourreport.com, and just let us know where to mail it, and we'd be very glad to get a copy of that report out to you. Also, we do have free resources available on our website, Uh, The website is retirementlifestyleadvocates.com, and the Your RLA app is also available at the website. So let's talk a bit about Thomas Jefferson and Janet Yellen. Janet Yellen, for those of you that are not familiar, was chair of the Federal Reserve from 2014 to 2018. She was the first woman to hold that post. And for those of you that are not familiar with the Federal Reserve, the Federal Reserve is a private group of bankers. Back in 1913, as we talked about on last week's program with our guest Larry Reed, then-President Woodrow Wilson signed into law the Federal Reserve Act. And essentially what this act did was put private bankers in charge of monetary policy. So these private bankers were given the power to create money and loan the money out and collect that money back with interest. Now, the Federal Reserve, as I said, has been around now for 107 years. And Janet Yellen headed up the Federal Reserve, as I said, from 2014 to 2018. Now, Janet has a Ph.D. from Yale So presumably she is pretty bright when it comes to the topic of economics. However, in 2017, after the Fed conducted the stress tests on the banks to just determine how financially sound are the banks, Ms. Yellen made a very interesting statement. She said that 
there won't be another financial crisis in our lifetimes. That is a big, big statement, and it kind of reminds me of a statement made in October 1929 by another Yale PhD, a guy by the name of Irving Fisher, who just days before the market crashed in 1929 stated, stock prices have reached a permanently high plateau. Well, obviously, it took only about a month, and Mr. Fisher looked about as dumb as bait, and making such a statement as Ms. Yellen made, saying there won't be another financial crisis in our lifetimes, also runs the risk of having her have a similar historical legacy as that of Dr. Fisher. Now, on the other side of that coin, we have Thomas Jefferson. And Thomas Jefferson had some very, very strong opinions about banks. He said, and I quote, I believe that banking institutions are more dangerous to our liberties than standing armies. Another quote, If the American people ever allow private banks to control the issue of their currency, first by inflation, then by deflation, the banks and corporations that will grow up around them will deprive the people of all property until their children wake up homeless on the continent their fathers conquered. So Mr. Jefferson said, first by inflation, then by deflation. Well, on this week's client webinar, I shared some slides that I actually put together seven years ago and used these slides in a class uh, that we offered at Western Michigan University at the time titled New Retirement Rules. A couple years later, the book uh, bearing the same name was published. And in that book, I said that given the current level of debt that exists, we will have to see one of two economic outcomes. We will see deflation, or we'll see inflation followed by deflation, as Mr. Jefferson forecast. Now, for those of you that aren't familiar with the difference, simply defined, deflation is a contraction of the money supply. Inflation is an expansion of the money supply. Deflation occurs and the money supply contracts when debt levels get too high to be serviced. So when banks loan out more money to their customers than their customers can collectively repay, like happened when subprime mortgages were the thing about 15 years ago, People don't pay back their mortgages, and money disappears from the financial system. That's deflation. Inflation occurs when the money supply increases. And as Mr. Jefferson said, you'll have inflation, but it will be followed by deflation. And now, here we are seven years later, and it seems fairly evident that Mr. Jefferson's forecast is coming to pass. I'll talk more about this in the last segment of today's program, but let's just talk for a minute about the money supply. When you start looking at the money supply, we'll look at M2, which is all the money available immediately, like the currency and coin in your pocket and the money available in a demand deposit account, like a checking account. And it's also money that is almost immediately available, like money that is in a CD or a time deposit of some type. 
Well, according to a piece published by Ryan McMakin of the Mises Institute, the M2 money supply increased in November 37% over the prior November. So that means there was 37% more money in circulation in November of 2020 than in November of 2019. Think about that for a minute. Let that sink in. That is mind-boggling when you consider it. And when you combine that with the fact that the Fed now has a balance sheet of $7.2 trillion, which is up about 600% from 2008, in plain terms, that's how much money the Fed has literally created out of thin air. Now, history teaches us, as Mr. Jefferson forecast, that massive levels of money creation leads to price inflation. And should the money printing continue long enough at a high enough level, currencies are eventually affected. Money creation happens when debt levels are too high to manage using honest means. So instead of having the deflationary outcome, The central bankers have said, we're going to print, we're going to have an accommodative policy for as long as it takes to avoid this deflationary outcome. But the risk, of course, is that at a certain point, pursuing this policy, currencies fail, and when they do, debts don't vanish. They're simply re-denominated into a new currency that the population accepts. That has also happened time and time again throughout history. That brings me back to Mr. Jefferson's quote. If the American people ever allow private banks to control the issue of their currency, first by inflation, then by deflation, the banks and corporations that will grow up around them will deprive the people of all property until their children wake up homeless on the continent their fathers conquered. Seems like I'm siding here with Mr. Jefferson because it seems that the Fed moving ahead, has decided to print until they can't. So be sure you're prepared. Make sure you educate yourself. And again, if you're just joining us, I'd like to invite you to get uh, the 2021 forecast issue of our client newsletter that was mailed to all our clients in December. It is titled Capitalizing on Uncertainty, and I would be glad to send you a free copy if you'd like. All you have to do is go to the website requestyourreport.com requestyourreport.com, and we'll be happy to get a free copy out to you. I will be back after these words with my special guest, Dr. Bob McHugh. Welcome back to RLA Radio. I'm your host, Dennis Tubergen. Joining me once again on today's program is returning guest and prolific market analyst, Dr. Bob McHugh. Uh, I would encourage you to check out uh, Dr. McHugh's work at his website, technicalindicatorindex.com. The website, again, is technicalindicatorindex.com. He also has a uh, publication that I hold in high regard that uh, gives people perspective on on trading and investing. So, uh, Bob, welcome back to the program. Thanks, Dennis. It's always great to be here. So, Bob, just for maybe our listeners who are not familiar uh, with your work, 
Um, you put out just voluminous amounts of analysis every day. Can you talk a little bit about uh, what your work is and what you do every day? Yes. Um, there's kind of two schools of thought on how to track the markets and predict where they're headed next. One is the fundamental approach, which 99% of all brokers in, the, in America and a lot of the mainstream media follow where, you know, 12 months uh, earnings uh, – past or future, you make a projection on where earnings are headed next, and then and then you try to figure out what the price is going to be. This is a totally different science I do, which is very, very impressive, I think, of the years I've been studying it and doing it, and uh, that is called technical analysis, where it really looks at the psychology of the market, of the group psychology of all investors everywhere. The theory is that everybody on the planet, all information known by everybody on the planet is reflected in the price of markets, and that these prices form patterns over a extended period of time. And if you can understand the patterns, there's a language to them. And essentially, the markets are telling us where they're headed next, based on these patterns of group psychology uh, information uh, convergence. And uh, I find it to be pretty darn accurate, and a lot more accurate than fundamental analysis. Because in fundamental analysis, you never know when the entire sea of, of stocks is going to go up or down. Uh, you just are focused on individual stocks, whereas in technical analysis, you can pretty much understand where the whole bag of stocks are headed up or down. Is the sea level going to rise or fall, which will carry all stocks with it? So I find that quite interesting. So, Bob, when you when you take a look at what you do in, in technical analysis, um, to what extent, uh, from, from your perspective and experience and your methodology, uh, different time frames? Uh, talk, talk a little bit about that. Do you analyze markets over you know shorter term time frames, longer term time frames, and and what impact does does that have on your ultimate analysis? Yeah, we try to look at let's say I'll break it down to three separate time frames: very long term. Uh, Intermediate term and short term. Short term would be one to three months, sometimes a couple weeks. Uh, intermediate term might be three months to a year. And then long term would be greater than a year. And actually, then you have very long term at fourth, if you want to go there, where I could be looking at uh, charts of uh, the markets over decades and centuries. Uh, so we try to do all at the same time to fit, find out where the short term trends fit into a, a larger degree trend so that you don't get too far ahead of ourselves and saying, oh, the short term looks really good. Yeah, but you got this barrier coming from an intermediate term that says you gotta, you got to pay attention to the potential for a stop, top or a bottom at that level. And then you go into a higher level degree to, to really get a better perspective overall. Gee, how much potential does this run have or, or does it not have? So when when you look at what's happening with this massive amount of of money creation going on there's there's no doubt that the dollar is losing purchasing power and since most markets uh you know around at least in the US and in many markets around the world since they're all priced in dollars what impact does this de this currency that's being devalued what impact does that have on your work um, it, it, it shows up in the charts on the individual uh, stock indices that we study. Uh, so what we've been seeing is that the, the potential for a, a rally uh, over the last several months uh, was there uh, based upon the stock charts. And then what fed it is the dollar dropping like crazy because 
the United States was printing so much money, so much out of thin air um, to fund uh, COVID-related uh, handouts. And as a result, the inflation of, of the dollar has had leaked into the stock charts, pushing prices higher in stocks. And then, of course, that all it all tied together. It all fit. It was projections that the dollar would drop and the stocks would rise, and that has been what we've seen. But there are limits and barriers showing up here that indicate that that, that trend is going to change. Yeah, you know, Bob, at least from a, a fundamental perspective, if we were talking one year ago today and someone were to say, you know, we're going to shut down the entire U.S. economy, essentially, almost the entire U.S. economy in response to a virus, we're going to have ongoing rioting in the streets, and the response will be to defund police. We're going to have, you know, a lot of uh, divisive politics going on, and yet in the midst of all that, stocks are going to make all-time new highs. Um, you know, everybody who looked at us like we were crazy. So, given that stocks have 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 risen, uh, I guess two things: what what do you attribute that to? And then, secondly, where do you see just general stock market indices going from here? Yeah, I mean. Fundamentally, the, the reason they rose was because the Federal Reserve printed, I don't know, $5 trillion, maybe up to $6 trillion now because they got this new stimulus that's going to be coming out of dollars, which is an enormous percentage of GDP, and, and, and sent it into the economy, which went right to the stock market. So that fed the rally from last the end of last March through now, and um, it was just simply a hyperinflation on the stock market. The stock market is real non-inflation-adjusted uh, top really occurred back in 2000. Um, so most of what we've seen since then is just hyperinflation from printing of dollars. But there are limits going on right now. I, I'm, I'm, there's a pattern that we're tracking. It's about a three-and-a-half-year pattern. It, I call it the jaws of death. It looks like a, a shark's mouth wide open, uh, ready to gobble up uh, what I refer to as the economy. And... Um, this pattern is, is needed a, a fifth wave up, uh, and that's the wave we saw from last March to now, and it projected that uh, there would be new higher highs, and that has been the case. But it's nearly complete. It's this five-wave pattern. It's an A up, an A down, B up, C down, D up, E down for uh, for a another wave and then it needed a final wave up. I know I'm getting technical here, but it needed another wave up and we've gotten it. It's almost over. And this pattern is an ominous topping pattern. And when it completes, the projection is that we're going to see substantially lower stock prices in the not too distant future, starting uh, maybe in early 2021 and, and for maybe another year or so. And uh, it's going to be a big drop. Like we, we saw a very big drop last, March, and it could be as good or as bad or worse than what we saw then. You know, Bob, I, I interviewed Dr. Charles Nenner uh, a couple months ago, and uh, he's a cycles analyst, and, and his work, he, he's predicting, predicting or projecting, I should say, that by, the, uh, by 2022, that the Dow could be as low as, as 5,000. Now, what, what would your reaction be to, to a, a dire prediction like that? Well, it's interesting. I just read you a, a it's called a long-term chart from 2017, which predicts, I'd say, a drop to around 18,000. But that's a small piece 
of the next larger pattern of the higher degree from 1986. And that's a major pattern, a rising bearish wedge pattern. And this, this what we just saw in the last three years is the topping part of that gigantic pattern. And that rising bearish wedge pattern that I'm referring to from 1986 has a downside price target eventually of five, about 5000 five, 5, So that confirms what, what he was saying. I don't know if the timing is the same, whether it'll be 2021, 2022, 2023, because it's such an extraordinary pattern. You never quite know how fast they're going to drop. But the pattern does, this large, very large pattern does project an eventual drop toward 5,000, yeah. So, Bob, you had mentioned uh, that that's so you'd you'd confirm that, which is is uh, it's amazing when you think about uh, how far the market would actually have to drop to have that happen. But when when you look at uh, this Fed stimulus and certainly the the the, the Fed's, it seems like they're committed to keeping uh, markets propped up. Um, is there any Fed action or uh, anything that you can see that might prevent that from happening, that you would see stocks maybe go higher on a nominal basis, uh, but you know continue their decline on a real basis? Well, I mean, they've been successful in, uh, in doing this for a long time, where they print money out of thin air, and people are willing to accept the inflated dollars and go merrily on their way and push prices up another degree. So, you know, at some point, you just wonder if the world's going to say we're sick and tired of the United States Fed doing this, and we're not going to accept the dollar as its reserve, our reserve, international reserve currency anymore. And see, that's the reason we can do this is because it's the world's reserve currency. If the reserve, if the world no longer accepts the dollar as a reserve currency because of the hyperinflation with it, then they, they, they no longer, we can no longer just print like this. The Fed doesn't, is not going to be able to do what they're doing now to pull themselves out of declining stock markets. That's a whole different scenario. Let's say they switch to uh, the Chinese uh, yuan for the reserve currency or the euro for the reserve currency or something else. Uh, that, that all of a sudden takes away a tool from the Fed that they've been using to keep stock markets going higher and higher. You know, Bob, you said something earlier in this segment. We have time for, I think, one more question here in this segment, um, that the stock market had a top on an inflation-adjusted basis back in 2000. That's 20 years ago. Can you explain how you come to that conclusion? Well, you can look at it a couple different ways. You can look at it um, in terms of gold, or you can just do the math and see how much the, the money, money supply has risen uh, since then and see how much the stock market has risen. And then you, you can just basically look at it versus gross domestic product and you come up with a, uh, a fact that it's, it's, it's been a nominal great growth since 2000 in, in the stock market. We really haven't created a lot of value. We've created um, artificial prices and it's reflected in everybody's grocery store and the price of everything. It's, it's crazy. And, uh, and and so you know that's kind of the proof of the pudding is, is just look at your wallet and what you're paying now for things versus what you were paying 20 years ago. Well, my guest today is Dr. Bob McHugh. Uh, his website is technicalindicatorindex.com. Uh, he is a uh, prolific analyst. He also has. Uh, uh, a couple of publications to help people trade and invest. I would encourage you to check them out. 
I will continue my conversation with Dr. Bob McHugh when RLA Radio returns. Stay with us. I'm Dennis Tuberg, and you're listening to RLA Radio. I am chatting today with Dr. Robert McHugh. Uh, Bob's website is technicalindicatorindex.com. I would encourage you to check out his work. He's also got uh, some publications that uh, I read uh, that give you great perspective on trading and investing. Again, the website is technicalindicatorindex.com. So, Bob, let's let's go down this road again. Uh, you know, the Fed is printing all this money, creating all this money out of, out of literally thin air, uh, it would seem to indicate that that would be bullish for commodities or anything related to things that are are tangible. So um, g- g- give me your take on that, and then maybe we can get into some specific markets. Yeah, I mean, one of the key defenses to uh, hyperinflation and currencies is holding hard assets, whether it's real estate or gold or oil or um, something concrete, that has always been a pretty good defense. Uh, so again, I guess that's where we're headed in this environment is to hold on to tangible assets as a protection mechanism for uh, the devaluation of cash. So when you look at hard assets, I think that uh, you know the traditional, typical precious metal holdings like gold and silver come to mind. Um, what's your take on you know where the gold market uh, ha- has has gone this year? Uh, we we've had a you know big run up from from March to about August, and we've had a bit of a pullback. Um, where do we go from here? I'm looking for this consolidation pattern that started in gold back in August to conclude soon, uh, soon being in the next few months. And to follow should be a very powerful, strong rally in gold. Um, It's a little bit unclear over the next two months which direction it's headed in the short run. There's two scenarios I track. One allows it to drop down to 1,700 before it hits bottom. And the other says it's hit bottom and it's starting its track up now. So we'll see what more price uh, movement gives us to complete these patterns to come up with a more definitive short-term forecast. But once this bottoms in, which I would say at the latest would be in early 2021, you would see a a firm bottom that will support a very lengthy, strong, powerful rally in gold, which, of course, will be a reaction to the deflation, I mean, the hyperinflation of the U.S. dollar and the the, the taking away the value of of the dollar of cash. Bob, this may not be a, a fair question, but uh, do, do you track or, or, or put price targets out there? Just how high do you see gold going potentially? Um, I do from time to time. A pattern will give you a target. The, the next wave is a wave three, a primary degree. It's a big wave. I don't have a specific price target at the moment, but wave threes are strong. They're they're typically very strong. Now, in in metals, the strongest wave is the fifth wave. It's a five-wave rally and a progressive wave with two and four correcting the major 
primary ways. So we're going to be heading, we're at two now correcting. We're going to be heading into a three. It's going to be a big wave. It's, uh, I would say it's at least going to go to 3,000 anyway. So, Bob, I've had analysts on that, that say that uh, we're going to see gold at eight or 9,000. I've had others who say if the Fed keeps printing, which seems to be the policy that they are going to pursue, and it'll work until it doesn't, that you know you may find that you can't find metals at any price. Uh, do you have an ultimate price target? Can you envision you know eight $9,000 gold? Yeah, because this is the third of five waves that I'm talking about coming next. That's not going to be the longest wave. That's not going to be the highest wave. So, you know, does it take us to three to four thousand? Yes. It's the fifth wave that's going to get us up to what we're talking about nine, ten thousand, and that that's a few, that's a few several probably a couple of years away. But um, once that comes, it, yes, gold is headed for ten thousand over the, I would say over the next five years. So, Bob, that would have to mean that you're also uh, bullish when you start to look at mining companies, companies that uh, actually, you know, mine the gold, mine the silver. Yeah, I'm optimistic with with uh, with mining stocks. They're a little different because they have a, they're an operating company, as well as uh, they have you know they have gold under the ground, metals under the ground, and a little bit above it, uh, their inventory. So, they're a little different. They're hybrid. They they do have operating issues, regulatory issues, uh, all the headaches that any company would have. So they're going to behave a little bit like a, like a normal stock would, but at the same time they have the benefit of the metals underlying their their uh, their movement. And I have a, a very optimistic progressive wave going on there, another big wave three up. And I have metals going, I mean I'm sorry, mining going above 500. Uh, actually above 600, probably over the next five years as well. So when you compare uh, gold and silver, from a technical perspective, uh, are you more bullish on gold or are you more bullish on silver? I'm more bullish on gold because of uh, its, its strength as a currency, its strength as an industrial usage, um, it's just traditionally been a stronger metal. Uh, Silver is not going to do poorly at all. It'll attract gold, but I like the beta on gold better. It, it seems like it's going to have a, a higher high, and, and silver will have its moments. But no, I'm, I'm more favorable to gold. So, Bob, when you look at, um, let, let's just technically look at briefly uh, the U.S. dollar, uh, and uh, let's take a look at um, the uh, U.S. Treasury market also. Can you give us your take on those two markets? Yes. The dollar still had to go, going to go lower. They've decided to sacrifice the dollar um, at this time, and um, it, it, my charts are saying that um, it's got further to go on the downside. You know, it's going to reach these occasional bottoms and bounce and that kind of thing. But they're not done printing, and uh, and as long as that's the case, and the charts seem to indicate that's going to be the case, that the gold, uh, that the, the dollar will be weakening further and further. And, you know, we put up all these blocks with trade. So normally when you lower the dollar, value of the dollar, you pick up gain in the economy through trade. It's an encouragement for uh, people to uh, buy our products. 
And but we put these uh, regulatory barriers up now with trade with certain countries, and so that has a mitigation on the benefit of a lower dollar, and as far as the economy is concerned. So um, as far as the, the dollar, I see it continuing to weaken, which is good for metals, good for hard assets. Now the impact on treasuries, you know, that's that's another issue. That this is where the Fed's gamesmanship comes into play. Under normal circumstances, when you would see, in free markets, when you would see this kind of hyperinflation of the currency, interest rates should rise to the, to the roof, and the value of bonds and treasuries should drop like a rock. But the, what's happening is, who's the buyer of, of all, the, uh, all the treasuries? It's the Fed. The Fed is, is basically the, saying to the treasury, you print the notes and we'll buy them from you. And that'll keep interest rates nice and low for everybody. It's not good for savers, that's for sure. People over 60 are realizing that. They've put their nest egg away and have to put a bit in cash. And they have not generated any benefit, any income from their savings accounts in years. Because the thinking has always been help the borrowers with lower interest rates and don't help the savers. And that's the problem with manipulation of markets, which is what the Fed is doing with the Treasury and has been for decades. And um, so I think Treasury rates can continue to stay low because of the manipulation of the Fed. But again, the whole thing changes if the reserve currency is changed from the dollar to something else. Now, countries have gone to war over that kind of an event. So in my book that I wrote several years ago, I made the point that when you see this jaws of death depression that comes, you're, you're going to see war with it, too, because nations start fighting against economic power and uh you know there's there's an event happening if we continue to devalue the dollar with hyperinflation and manipulation of currencies there are the nations that are getting fed up with this and that's that's that puts a real strain on relationships internationally so bob let's look at another uh hard asset arguably tangible asset uh oil uh, we've enjoyed uh Certainly, at the gas pump, uh, lower gas prices. Where do you see oil going? It's been flat for since May, uh, June. Since June, it's been completely flat. It's risen a little bit recently. Um, the long-term chart I'm watching for oil has a has it going very, very high uh, eventually. Um, the track that we're in now is just a a mid-range track. It got down to almost zero back in March, and uh, since then it's risen fifty base, fifty dollars a barrel. But it's following a track along this rally that eventually you could see oil up over two hundred dollars a barrel. Um, I'm not saying that's going to happen soon, and there's certainly going to be some manipulation along the way with that. But that to me would imply a war. That would mean to me imply there's going to be a real strong need for oil and and resources of oil are going to be interrupted. So if you look at a chart and you see it saying that oil is going to 200, you have to say there's got to be a war in there somewhere to make that happen. But we're tracking that. For now, it's flat at 50, 45 in that range, training range. In the short run, it could continue to stay in that range or move up slightly for, uh, you know, another year or two. But it's, it's hard to say. It's, at some point, this is going to break out north. Um, 
and, and prices could, could get really crazy. Um, but the other side of it is, you know, as, as demand for oil drops, you think price should drop. So there's uh, economic forces, fundamental forces saying oil should drop. The technical chart I'm studying says it's going up. So it sees something outside of what we're looking at fundamentally right now. Well, my guest today has been Dr. Robert McHugh. Bob's website is technicalindicatorindex.com. I would encourage you to check out the website and also check out Bob's publications. It can give you some really good perspective on trading and investing. Uh, Bob, always a pleasure to chat with you and catch up and get your perspective. I appreciate you joining us today, and I'd love to have you back down the road. Uh, thanks, Dennis. I always, always enjoy chatting with you, and anytime, I, I'd love to come back. We will return after these words. This is the Retirement Lifestyle Advocates radio program. I'm Dennis Tubergen. Thanks again to my special guest today, Dr. Bob McHugh, for joining us on today's program. You know, in the first segment of the program today, I compared the financial and economic philosophies of one of the founding fathers, Thomas Jefferson, with that of former Federal Reserve Chair Janet Yellen, who assured us in 2017 we would not have another financial crisis in our lifetimes. Well, Mr. Jefferson said that if we allow private banks to control the issue of our currency, first by inflation, then by deflation, the economy essentially would be destroyed, to paraphrase. And it certainly seems that that is the path on which we find ourselves. It seems that Mr. Jefferson's warnings of inflation followed by deflation are becoming reality. I noted that in November of this year, when looking at the M2 money supply, which is basically liquid money, the money supply in November of 2020 was 37% greater than the money supply in November of 2019. So in one year, the amount of fiat currency floating around increased by 37%. Now let's take a look at what's happened to prices this year. And I want to focus on food prices. And to do that, I'll quote for you some price movements on some agricultural commodities. Corn prices since August have risen about 40%. Now, granted, corn prices have been depressed. Some analysts have argued that prices were due to rebound, which may be true in part. But it's interesting that corn prices rose 40% and the M2 money supply increased about the same percentage year over year. And it's not just corn prices moving up. The same pattern can be seen in many other agricultural commodities. In rough terms, the soybean index is up about the same 40% as corn is. The more general grains index is up slightly less than 40%. And the agricultural and livestock index is up a bit more than 30%. Now, these 
multiple double-digit increases represent significant food price inflation in a very short period of time. So here's the question. Does this rapid massive inflation signal the beginning of hyperinflation? Well, past radio guest here on the program, Mr. Jeff Dice, who is president of the Mises Group, recently wrote a piece commenting on this very phenomenon. In the piece, Mr. Deist expected, rather recommended that Americans read the book The Death of Money by Adam Ferguson. Ian Gordon, past guest here on the program, has made a similar recommendation. I have read the book, and I would suggest adding it to your reading list. Now, Mr. Deist says that most Americans can't even consider the prospect of hyperinflation. After all, that's something that happens in faraway places, banana republics, if you will, not in the world's largest and most prosperous economy. Now, let me give you just a bit from Mr. Dice's piece. He said, ours is a nation willfully lacking in knowledge and understanding of money. A cynic might think this lack of comprehension or apprehension, rather, is by design. Money is seldom discussed in schools, popular media, or politics. And almost a century after the stark lessons of 1923 Germany, the West is convinced it can't happen here. In our overwhelming material abundance, aided by the natural deflationary pressures of markets, we've simply lost our ability to imagine a hyperinflationary scenario. Sure, there have been currency meltdowns since the two world wars in places like Yugoslavia, Zimbabwe, Bulgaria, and Argentina, and Venezuela and arguably Turkey face currency crisis today. But we need not worry about this because modern central banks, especially the U.S. Federal Reserve and the European Central Bank, have tamed inflation through sheer technocratic expertise and a willingness to use extraordinary monetary policy tools. Basically, they are printing money. Now, Mr. Dice concludes this part of his piece by saying, thanks to this open embrace of centrally planned money, former Fed Chair Janet Yellen assured us we need not expect another financial crisis in our lifetime. Now, here would be my comment. Despite the assurances of central bankers that everything is under control and there's nothing to worry about, the simple fact that the Fed has created trillions of dollars this year alone The simple fact that the money supply is up nearly 40% year over year and because we're seeing significant food price inflation this year, you should be concerned. See, it's the inflation in the essential things that we buy that accelerates hyperinflation. Once the average citizen fully wakes up to the fact that it's better to have something tangible than to have fiat currency, we then reach a tipping point. Former guest here on the program, Alistair McLeod, has talked about this tipping point. And at that tipping point, when people are quickly getting out of fiat currencies to buy something tangible, the price inflation numbers at that point go off the charts. And we deal with the reactive reset that Mr. Jefferson forecast. 
So what should you do? Well, going into 2021, I would encourage you to do a couple things. One, if you've not yet gotten our capitalizing uncertainty forecast issue of our client newsletter, I would encourage you to get that, to uh, take advantage of that resource, get a different perspective. Go to requestyourreport.com, and we'd be glad to send you a copy of that report. I would also encourage you to think about adding non-traditional, more tangible assets to your portfolio. Now, uh, you need to get appropriate advice from someone qualified to give that advice. And if you'd like to learn a bit more about adding tangible assets to your portfolio, uh, I'd be glad to have uh, you call the office to arrange a free phone consultation to talk about it. Uh, all you need to do is call the office at 866-921-3613. The number again is 866-921-3613. And we would be very glad to talk to you about it and educate you uh, with, with no cost and no obligation. Uh, you know that here at RLA Radio, we are all about education. That's the program for this week. Hope you got something you can use and enjoy the rest of your Merry Christmas weekend.